the pandemic, you know, allowed us to slow down and realize some things that were kind of wrong with society. I think um, with parents, they feel like they have to do everything for their children. Um, but if they're actually, you know, taking care of themselves and setting that example of self-care and emotional regulation, then, you know, like you said, the kids soak it up. They're, they're constantly observing and, you know, absorbing what they see around them. Thanks for joining me on the Healing Compass podcast, where we bridge scientific with holistic so that you can be empowered to grow, heal, and overcome in your own way. You are provided various insights and resources on a range of topics, from mental health to chronic pain, because well-being is not a one-size-fits-all, and you hold the compass to your own path. I'm your host, Lori Crow, aka Sway. What message is in store for today? Let's find out. Well, I'm welcoming today's guest. This is Rachel Kuttner, certified life coach and kids yoga instructor. Thank you so much for joining me today, especially from the East Coast. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you again for being here and making the time for this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So tell me a little bit about your professional background. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my bachelor's degree is in sociology and psychology. Um, I also completed some grad work in counseling. Um, and I've done some certifications um, after the graduate work. So I did um, a 200 hour yoga teacher training. And I also did um, kids yoga teacher trainings. Um, so I did the training through Little Flower Yoga, which is focused on children's mindfulness and um, emotional well-being. So um, I've been teaching kids yoga for about seven years now. Um, and I've been working with kids um, in groups and one-on-one doing um, different uh, social emotional learning practices. So yeah. Okay. Okay, great. That's super awesome. Okay. So why did you decide to get into sociology and psychology and why did you like combine these studies? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think they work uh, pretty hand in hand, like sociology is how our social world affects us. And um, our psychology is more of our internal world. Um, but more often than not, our internal worlds can be affected by our outside world, um, our support systems, our family systems. So um, I just thought that they went well together. Um, and I knew that I kind of wanted to go uh, the counseling route and I wanted to have like a solid undergrad for that. So uh, yeah, those two um, paths felt like the best ones. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because what we face in society can really, really affect our mental health. Mm-hmm. Yep, and absolutely. just, you know, especially with everything that's going on and just like, you know, social media and, you know, the negative news that tends to come out, um, it really can take a toll on our psyche. And so, yeah, I can, I can understand why those would go together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why did you, why, or ha- uh, when did you know um, that you wanted to go in the direction of holistic practices such as yoga and mindfulness during this yeah. journey? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, um, I was really into wellness and um, well-being, like from an early state. Um, and, you know, the attention to like somatic practices and the way that our body is affected by our mind and vice versa. Um, I really thought that 
there was something really unique about, you know, breath work and, and yoga moving our bodies and how that affects our well-being. And um, essentially, you know, I was using yoga <laughs> to relieve my own anxiety. Um, when I was in grad school, actually, I had um, a lot of panic attacks. And there was one day specifically where I felt like um, half my body was going numb. And I drove myself to the ER just to find out that it was psychosomatic and it was anxiety produced, but it felt very physical. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of when I actually stopped grad school and I took some time to take care of myself and figure out like how to heal myself. Um, and I think, you know, yoga was really helpful. It really helped to calm down my nervous system and it helped me to get back into my body and, and understand ways to help myself that were more holistic. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that it, um, helps calm the nervous system. Cause I was about to say like physiologically, that's what's happening, especially when it comes to somatic practices and movement is that it does help to, um, balance and regulate the nervous system when it's all out of whack. And this can be beneficial for all sorts of, you know, mental, cognitive, neurological conditions for people. And so, and it's really good. It's really beneficial that you saw that, that you, you recognize that in yourself and that you kind of paused, you know, your academic life to take care of you and work on you. And um, that's important for people to remember is that it's okay to pause. Um, and nourish yourself. Um, because if you just keep trying to push through and either just work through it, um, by, you know, by denial or just, you know, just feeling like you just have to keep going, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. So yeah. definitely yeah. good to slow down and tend to yourself. Yeah. No, awesome. for sure. Yeah. Um, even more specifically with that, like I was, you know, hustling, like I was working full time, I was doing grad school, and I, I wasn't taking the time um, to really take care of myself. So exactly right, what you said, you, you need to pay attention to your self care, or you will burn out. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and it does, it leads to not only like mental, you know, disturbances, but physical, like it can really start to take a toll on your physical body, illness yeah. and injury is more, you know, um, apt to happen. Um, in that way, because if you're just going too fast, you're not being mindful. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I I've seen it. I felt it like digestive issues, like just, yeah. Stress is so toxic on our bodies. Yep. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I mean, we're meant to experience stress in life. It's just how we handle it and how we respond to it. And so, like you said, you felt that stress you're like, okay, way too many red flags going on. I need to do something about that. And, and, um, and it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to know that like, you have to get a job done, you have deadlines and timelines, but there's always a way to take a time out. Um, even if it's just for a few minutes, um, being, uh, taking that time to just, you know, reset whatever that be, even if it's just as simple as taking a nice deep breath and, yeah. and resetting in the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And honestly, you know, that was one of the reasons why I thought like teaching kids, um, you know, practices like this, or just understanding their emotions a little bit better was so important, because um, like, this wasn't the first time in my journey where like, I had to pause and take care of my mental health. Um, I also had an eating disorder in college. And um, 
I literally had to stop and like take care of my mental health. And, and there were a lot of things that I could have learned along the way to, you know, maybe prevent that, um, as far as my emotional well being. So I just think, you know, this topic's so important, especially for kids. Um, I think, you know, like you said, with social media, with like this hustle culture, like they feel it too, you know, there's a lot of stress on kids um, to keep up and to perform well. And, and so they really do experience stress almost the same way that adults do. Mm -hmm. Um, and having, you know, tangible tools is so important for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like the, the, uh, resources for kids, especially might not be as, as, uh, prevalent or as apparent for children to know, Hey, this is how you take care of your mind and body. Whereas like with adults, it's, it's everywhere. You know, we know that we have the accessibility to, to our, um, to our, you know, to take better care of our well being. but children are still learning life <laughs> as it is. And uh, they may not be having that influence uh, in their life. Okay. So, um, you know, you just described like what it is, you know, with working with children and that they're facing these stresses from school to, to social life and, and, um, and social media and everything, but with the pandemic and everything, what have you noticed? Have you noticed a, a shift in their mental health in one way or another? How's that been? Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, I think there is a lot more attention to um, social emotional learning now because kids have had, you know, the pandemic to live through. And, you know, essentially in the pandemic, a lot of kids were isolated. <laughs> um, and we, like I said, you know, our social world impacts our inner world as well. So like if they're not used to getting the resources that they may have, like support from friends or activities, these things that kind of help us to thrive um, you know, they can experience some mental health issues as well. So I think there's a lot of attention and there's a lot of things that are popping up, like with different technologies and resources for kids um, to help with their mental health. I think there's a lot more attention on it globally, um, just because of the pandemic, but also because the pandemic, you know, allowed us to slow down and realize some things that were kind of wrong with society or, you know, different institutions, like it's really key to learn how to take care of your mental health at an early age so that you have resources to help you through life because our mental world is really so important and it kind of determines how things play out with, you know, jobs or school. It's, it's just so important for everyone to understand how to take care of their emotional well-being. So I think there's a lot more attention to it now, um, more than ever, at least more than I've seen. Um, like when I started my company a few years ago, I knew it was important, but I think, you know, after the pandemic, there's just a lot more attention on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, we're not meant to be in isolation and we're not meant to endure long-term stress. And we all have, we all have in one way or another, especially with this pandemic and for kids, it's, it's, uh, probably even harder for them to even understand and process what's going on. And so then they have that confusion, um, on top of, you know, everything that's happening yeah. and, you know, we, we all, each, each individual human being needs some support in their life, even if it's just one other human being in our life to support us. Like we are meant to be, um, you know, connected in some way. 
And I think a lot of the issues when it comes to children, especially is that, you know, that saying uh, bad attention is better than no attention or negative attention is better than no attention. It's because they need that support. They need that connection. So I'm sure there's their, their mechanism um, would probably be to, you know, um, uh, act out or, you know, behave um, in a more negative manner just to seek that, that connection or attention, social media, or just misbehaving with parents and um, not doing so good in school and things like that is because that they're technically seeking that support and that connection with others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's healthy ways to seek connection. Like we, like you said, we are social beings We're it's innate to, you know, seek out connection with others. It's not mm-hmm. foreign to us. It's something that's ingrained in our DNA. Um, so it's really hard to, you know, cope with things like trauma. And to be honest, like, I think, you know, the COVID experience was traumatic for a lot of people. Not a lot of people were used to that type of isolation or, um, you know, that type of fear. There was a lot of fear going on because a lot of people were fearful for their health. Um, You know, even in the beginning of the pandemic, there were a lot of unknowns. uh, And I think that's scary. And, um, you know, our brains are always seeking safety. And so, Mm -hmm however we decide to cope with that, to come back to a state of like safety. Um, that's where you see a lot of issues with like behavior or whatever, because our, we're constantly trying to adapt to our surroundings. So if, you know, we're in a state of isolation and our, you know, say somebody is like prone to OCD or anxiety, like you're going to see that act up in a time like the pandemic, because, you know, it's such a unsteady, fearful state. So yeah. You know, the children are influenced and they they are exposed to and they observe and um, they they soak in what they see and what they hear yeah. from how adults behave, whether it be their parents or um, family, um, you know, people around them, neighbors and, uh, you know, like I said, on on media, social media. So they're soaking all of this in. And so. Um, I can understand that if they don't have that example of how to take care of their well-being, to recognize their emotions, to um, be able to manage their stress in an early age, um, it could be all the more confusing because they say, well, they're doing this and, you know, they're an adult. So yeah, um, I, it, it, I, I think it's just even more challenging if, if the child does not have that good like role model or ro- role models or examples in their life. Yeah, for sure. And I think honestly, that just shines a little bit of a light on how important it is for everyone to take care of their mental health. Um, You know, as parents, if there's parents listening, like, you know, filling up your cup is important, taking time for yourself is important, making sure that, you know, you schedule your doctor's appointments, or you schedule your well being checkups, or you schedule your therapy appointment, I think, um, with parents, they feel like they have to do everything for their children. Um, but if they're actually, you know, taking care of themselves and setting that example of self-care and emotional regulation, then, you know, like you said, the kids soak it up. They're, they're constantly observing and, you know, absorbing what they see around them. So that's a great message mm-hmm. for parents to take care of their mental health as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you, you practice what's called SEL. Uh, so what is, what does that stand for and what does it entail? Why is it useful? Yeah, so social emotional learning is a little bit buzzworthy right now. Um, I think a few years back, you know, people were talking about emotional intelligence. 
Um, and I remember when the book uh, Grit came out by Angela Duckworth and, you know, there was this like attention to how we adapt and how we deal with stressful situations. Um, so social emo emotional learning is essentially how we can identify our emotions. So it's, it's the act of, you know, learning what emotions are like, learning how they feel, um, and then properly coping with them. So kids, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of resources for kids to help to identify their emotions and help the, like healthily cope with them. Um, so there's things like breathing techniques, there's things like, um, you know, DVT, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, to help them, you know, process emotions and essentially cope with them. So um, because I'm not a licensed therapist, I'm a life coach. I talk more on like habits and behavior and I have that yoga background. I can share with kids, you know, how to identify their emotions um, and how to implement certain techniques to try to help them calm themselves or, you know, just properly deal with what's going on. And, and these are things that, you know, anyone can do. It's really like more popular psychology at this point, like learning about our emotions and how to deal with them. So sometimes that looks like doing yoga, but it also can look like talking to a friend. It can look like journaling. Um, it's really just the understanding of our emotions and how to deal with them. And like I said, you know, when I was younger, this wasn't really buzzy. This wasn't really something that everyone was learning in school. It was more or less like if you were in a crisis situation where you needed to see a therapist because something was really wrong, then you were getting that type of help and you were understanding these things. But it wasn't really popular to learn about them in school. And I think right now, um, you know, they've coined the term social emotional learning because it's essentially you know, being implemented into curriculums and, you know, teachers are paying attention to it. Um, it's really just about understanding how to process emotions and, and how to deal with them. So I guess that's a basic way to describe it. But there's many, <laughs> there's many ways to like cope with our feelings. Um, yeah, I, I think that you, you know, touched on the importance of processing emotions. Um, because, you know, we are meant to experience emotions and uh, it's a physiological part of us that needs to cycle through our body. And if we don't allow ourselves to process emotions, our anger, our sadness and whatnot in a healthy way, um, then it can attach to us in the body and become a physical issue. And whether it be like, you know, you know, um, you know, with hormonal like changes or like illness, injury, pain. Um, and like you said, it's so psychosomatic most of the time. And, you know, we might hear doctors report, oh, it's just because of your anxiety, but it shouldn't be brushed off. It's like, oh, it's because of my anxiety. It's not anything that should just be brushed under a rug. So um, yeah, processing emotions, super important. Super yeah. Important. Yeah. Just to piggyback on what you said, I mean, everything is energy, right? So if we have, yeah. you know, energy coming up and we're not processing it, we're not allowing it to dissolve some way or another, it's going to stay with us. And I think for adults who understand, you know, the psychosomatic consequences of anxiety, like tightness in their shoulders, like mm -hmm. having those 
things like digestive issues because our body is connected to our mind and our body's constantly listening mm-hmm. um, and feeling. So if we're not actually processing the things that are going on, like they're going to stick with us and, and they can come up later as different illnesses, but um, you know, just understanding how to process what's going on and that it's essentially energy. Our emotions have energy and, and being able to work with that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as, as I've mentioned in, in previous episodes too, um, it's not a form of weakness to express yeah. your emotions. Um, you know, stating that I'm, you know, I'm feeling, you know, or I'm experiencing anger or I'm experiencing anxiety. And that's a message that I, you know, convey to, to my clients and to my students is that, uh, you don't have to, um, a- adopt a, um, a certain emotion because emotions, feelings, they're temporary. And so instead of saying, I am angry, say I am experiencing anger or I am sad, say I'm experiencing sadness. And then, you know, being able to, you know, talk about it, confide in somebody that you can trust family or, you know, therapist or friend. Um, and, you know, if you feel like you need a good cry, cry, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You know, grab a pillow and scream into it, like, you know, but find ways to channel um, your emotions and process them in a healthy way. And if you need to speak to somebody, don't be afraid to, because, you know, there are plenty of people out there that are willing to listen and willing to support you. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think also something that is a good resource is like under the DBT umbrella, um, you know, riding the wave of an emotion, like the emotion comes up, but if you give it time and you sit with it and you observe it and you understand it, you know, it will go away. It's not going to last forever. So it's understanding that like feelings come and go, but just having examples like that, like resources, like I think, you know, emotional intelligence is something that is a good thing for people to understand because it can really help them in so many ways. Like we're never going to live in a stress-free world. We're never going to live in a world where things are always happy and, and bright as much as we'd love that, you know, it's just not realistic. So understanding that, you know, things like anxiety will come up and it's normal. It's a normal reaction. Things like, you know, sadness will come up. It's, it's a normal part of life, but knowing how to identify and process and cope with those feelings is super important. And, and like I said, I just, for me, the reason that I started uh, the company, uh, soul strong kids is because I really wanted kids to have resources and I wanted them to have things that were easy to, you know, grab onto and and not over their heads and, and not feel like, you know, they had to go see a therapist because something was wrong. Like they were having, you know, panic attacks. Like it, it, the thing about anxiety is like, if you let it go untreated and you're not coping with it effectively, it'll just kind of get worse. And it'll kind of like, haunt you. So just having like resources before it gets so bad that like you absolutely, you know, need like an intervention. I, yeah. I just think it, it should be, you know, taught to kids. Yeah. Those mindfulness techniques and whatnot are, are more like preventative, really, mm-hmm. right? Preventative yeah. measures. Yeah. So- the same way that like, you know, yoga is preventative medicine, exercise is preventative medicine. Like mm-hmm. those things are preventative in that, you're keeping your body, you know, active and healthy and your organs are getting, you know, work every day so that you're not at the point where like you do develop diabetes or something that could be prevented. Um, I just think preventative healthcare is like such a focus right now too, because 
you know, it shouldn't get to a point where like you have to go to the hospital that, and it's the same with our mental health. If you're not paying attention to your mental health and you're just letting it, you know, go to a dark place, like no one should have to be like admitted to a hospital because they don't know how to take care of themselves, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're going to a hospital, they are, they're not there to handle your anxiety. They're not trained and equipped to focus on that. They're more focusing on any kind of physical symptoms. And like you said, those, those symptoms come up as psychosomatic and, and a lot of times, um, you know, the doctors and nurses and such, um, aren't necessarily able to connect the dots. And so it's, it's, it's important for us as individuals to understand that stress can influence our physical well-being. Yeah. And I think even, you know, they're not going to admit you to like the psychiatric treatment unless like you're danger to yourself or others. Right. And there's so many things that are in between like that worst case scenario where, you know, someone is suicidal, God forbid, you know, it, there's like these gray areas of anxiety and stress and, and trauma that are not necessarily, you know, big enough for you to be admitted to a psych ward and not that you want that to happen, but like, that's the way that healthcare professionals will deal with, you know, mental health issues. If you come into the hospital and, you know, they're not realizing that, you know, something that would be psychosomatic is necessarily anxiety related. It really depends on the healthcare professional that's treating you. I think there's, there's a little bit more, you know, attention to this now than there was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of like outdated medicine. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had my experience, uh, with a family member who's been, admitted to the ER several times for mm, first, you know, stress related, anxiety related, depression related purposes. Um, and they've basically either been, um, discharged, um, with no resolve, um, or, um, down to the point of going into the, the inpatient, um, you know, basically psychiatric, uh, care, um, but that's very short term. It's not really a fix. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's still a work in progress. I, I think it definitely, like you said, it's gaining more attention amongst the medical field. Um, however, I think that um, it's, it's still challenging because it's not like they have like a, a therapist or a psychiatrist there to talk to you and um, they don't have a necessary protocol that they go through uh, when it comes to that. But I think, I think we are heading in a good direction there. Yeah, even so, um, you know, with like yoga and mindfulness being implemented into like treatment facilities, like mm -hmm. I love to see that emerge too. That's been emerging yes. the last couple of years because our breath can help calm down our nervous system, you know, like these practices mm -hmm. are really helpful. Um, I know a couple nonprofits like I've seen like pop up over the last uh, couple of years using exercise and yoga to help with addiction treatment. And it's, it's mm. really incredible because a lot of times like these things that, you know, yoga or exercise can provide like a sense of community and that, you know, those healthy chemicals, like exercise, obviously like brushes your brain with endorphins and like dopamine. And, you know, these things are so important for us to thrive. Like, it's just, it's incredible. It is. We could, we could definitely be in an overall healthier state of, of well-being, um, and probably have less doctor's visits and hospital visits. If, if we were to take that initiative in our own life to take care of our well-being when we need to. And, you know, like you said, as a preventative measure. 
So these exercises and techniques that you teach the children, can you share a few of them? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so we're, we're talking about breath work, right? Um, so breath work is a yoga practice, but we do it every day. <laughs> like we breathe every day. It's just, um, paying more attention to how we're breathing and using our breath to essentially calm ourselves down. So, um, there's some really fun breathing tools that I teach kids. Like there's the five finger technique where, you know, it's visual. So obviously they can look at their hands, they can trace their hands, they can color a picture of their hands, and then they can use that as a take home. So you would inhale as you trace the top of your finger using your thumb to start, and then you would exhale as you trace the finger down. Um, so it's kind of incorporating that uh, like four count breath if you're tracing slow. Um, but just a controlled breath allows you to number one, not pay attention to your thoughts as much, and then use your breath to help regulate what's going on in your mind. Because a lot of times, you know, I think people who are experiencing anxiety, like they're not necessarily breathing well. Um, and there's a lot of like breathwork experts that can go into this a little bit further. But for me, the basics are our nervous system is our breath regulation, right? So if we're breathing nice and calm and we're able to center ourselves by focusing on something else, it helps to slow down our thoughts. And I think there's a lot of people that experience racing thoughts if they have anxiety and it's really, it's not a fun time. Like it's, and for kids, especially like to not understand this and to have like racing thoughts, it's very scary. So I think just using simple tools like breath work. Um, so the five finger technique, right? You're tracing every finger, you're inhaling nice and slow, you're exhaling super easy. Um, there's also the box breath, which I know adults use too. So the, uh, you just kind of picture like a square or a box. Um, and usually like they'll have a visual to follow along with. So you're breathing in and you're tracing the side of the box, you're holding the breath and then you're exhaling and you're tracing the box. So it's a nice, slow and controlled breath. Um, for kids, I usually just start with like a four count breath because Hold, holding your breath is hard for kids. And I, I think just using something simple, like a four count opposed to like a six count, like if you get really advanced with it, you can kind of up the breath so that you have that really controlled breath. But I think with kids, like, you know, they're breathing at a, a higher rate than, than most adults anyway. So they need to make sure that they're getting oxygen to their lungs. So I think a four count breath for box breathing is great. It just helps them to refocus. It helps them to have those nice, slow, steady breaths. Um, and then there's also like a rainbow breath technique, which is a visual as well. So it's a cute little rainbow. I have little handouts that I give them and like we'll trace the rainbow. Um, but again, all of it is just using our breath to regulate our nervous system and having a nice visual coming out of whatever anxious thoughts are going on. And, and it's a great way for kids to calm down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, not only good for the nervous system regulation, but if you're taking that nice, deep, full breath from the abdomen, um, it's also massaging your, your organs. It's actually helping your digestive system. It's also helping your heart. So yeah. it actually can uh, improve or stabilize like heart function and, and, um, and keep your heart healthy as well. So it's not just about the nervous system. It's, it's pretty much your whole entire body, um, that your breath is, is benefiting. Yeah. You're oxygenating yeah. all your organs and cells and that makes you feel good. But I think for kids, it's really just like understanding, you know, how to calm yeah. themselves. Cause a lot of the kids that I deal with are like, 
anxious, but not really like working with the therapist, you know, they, their parents are looking for resources that are very accessible. Um, so I kind of work with the in-between and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I really think like, it's great that teachers are adopting SEL because all the kids need this. Like there's not one kid, um, in a classroom who's like not experiencing some type of stress at some point in their life. So, yes, absolutely. So true. So true. So what is your overall message, uh, with mental health when conveying to others, uh, parents, um, especially, you know, maybe to relate to their children, what's valuable for our listeners to know? I mean, I think it's everything we said that like taking preventative measures is better than waiting till something really bad happens. So understanding our emotions, understanding how to help ourselves, understanding, you know, there's so many tools out there, especially now, because there's a lot more attention on mental health. I think it's just like mental health is just as important as physical health. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, if if they're directly related, um, most of the time. So just, you know, pay attention to, you know, simple things like how you're feeling. And I think it's really just everything we said in this podcast so far, like adults model behavior for children. So if you are an adult listening, taking care of your own mental health is key because your children are always watching what you're doing. Um, if you have children and you see that maybe they're struggling or not understanding their emotions, look up SEL resources. There's plenty of resources like free on Pinterest. Um, you know, there's videos out there. YouTube has some kids yoga classes, which is great. My nephew really likes cosmic kids. And it's just really important to understand the mind body connection. Like our bodies also need attention. We need to move our bodies. We're not meant to be sedentary. We're not meant to just sit on the couch watching TV. Like if you want the best health for you or your children or any like child that, you know, if you work with kids, um, just understanding that like taking care of your physical body is important and, you know, taking care of your mental health is key because if you don't like scary things can happen and it's really scary to see how the body listens to what's going on in the mind and how, you know, disease is preventable a lot of the time, not all diseases, but there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of diseases that can be prevented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of these resources that you're mentioning too, I'll make sure that I put in my link tree for people. And so if you have any more, uh, please send those to me and we'll include those resources in my link tree so that um, parents and adults and whatnot can access these for their, for their children and for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, awesome. like I said, box breathing, adults do it too. <laughs> like it's not, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Okay. So this next section, um, I ask all of my uh, guests to answer. These are quick fire questions called fixed fucked freed. There are a series of three questions I'm going to ask about their life. And so I will explain each one as we go. So the first question is what temporary what fixed you so what temporarily fixed you like a band-aid it 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 worked for a little bit it helped you for a little bit but in the overall long run long scheme of things it just really wasn't working or there was an adverse like reaction or side effect or whatever I personally think this is just a good topic to talk about because 
I'm seeing like a lot more on like the sober movement. And I think it's really interesting. I think a lot of people, you know, do turn to things like alcohol or like online shopping mm. or like whatever it is, like these like low key addictions, sure. um, or sometimes bigger addictions, obviously, if like, you know, um, you're you have like any type of abusive <laughs> relationship with these things. But I, I mean, I will say like further back before I did like a lot of this inner work um, on myself. And, you know, the like, I'm, I'm talking like, years ago, like, I'm not proud of it. But like, I remember times when like, I used alcohol to cope with anxiety, like if I was in a social setting, and like, I had anxiety, like I would, you know, lean into like using alcohol, and it, it would be like a temporary fix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have to admit that I come from that experience of relying on alcohol in social settings because I had high social anxiety. And I did feel like in that moment, it loosened me up. It helped me let go, give less fucks, and just feel more confident uh, in the moment. But in the long term of things, you know, I really started to reflect and see this isn't who I am. This isn't who I want to be. Yes, I had influences in my life that made me feel like I needed to do it as well um, to rely on alcohol uh, in a social setting. But I finally realized this this isn't what I want in my life. This isn't what I need, both mentally and physically. It just, it was unhealthy and it was toxic. And so I can completely relate to that. Now I still struggle with social anxiety. Um, and you know, I have my good days and I have my not so good days, but I'm doing it with full awareness and I'm going in and I'm working on these thoughts that might be coming in that I'm just, I need to push those aside and I just need to be more present and be more aware of what's going on instead of being so concerned about you know, the thoughts that I'm having in my head that are usually not true. And then I also remind myself that pretty much everybody else around me um, probably is feeling the same way. They probably have some sort of anxiety or um, lack of confidence. Um, They're a little bit insecure in some way. And so I remind myself that, you know, we're all human and that we all have our insecurities and that I just, I'm just putting myself out there now and knowing that the more I do this, the more I will improve and hopefully overcome social anxiety. It can be anything, anything that's really not healthy in the long term that like you're using to cope, but isn't an effective coping mechanism. So I think uh, that's something that like, I will admit, like, I'm not proud of, but I am also glad that like, I understand, you know, healthy ways to cope. <laughs> like I understand how to process my emotions. I understand like to take action when things aren't going well and in ways that are healthy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So what in your life just fucked you like royally fucked you over? Like it was a poor choice to begin with and just did not work out for your well-being. I think growing up, like there were some things that fucked with me that maybe I wasn't consciously choosing, but still like fucked me mentally. (laughs) Um, And I think that's really important because there's a lot of attention on like this inner child work, like within like the mental health world. And I, it's for a reason, you know? Um, And I think it also ties back to this episode. Like the reason why I feel like I should help kids because I think like I said, things are preventable or like just having resources to cope with traumatic events is helpful. And 
Um, I think growing up, there were some things that like fucked with me. Um, for example, uh, I grew up dancing and <laughs> dance was like very competitive and like very body focused. And I can consciously see like what has fucked with me and how that may have resulted in like maladaptive behavior. Um, so for me, like, you know, there were things that contributed to having an eating disorder for me. And it was, it was things like perfectionism, like being at a, a dance school where it was very clicky, um, you know, having, you know, random bullying happening at school, like these, these little things add up. And, um, you know, sometimes like growing up, like our parents aren't perfect and our parents have issues. And um, I think for me, like even just, again, why it's so important to process our emotions and feel our feelings and, and properly cope with things and get help and get support and, and have a sense of confidence in ourselves. Like one of the things that, you know, I get to do with kids now that like, I wish, I wish was around when I was younger, like I've taught empowerment classes for kids where like, we talk about confidence, we talk about mindfulness, we talk about breathing tools, we talk about all these really healthy resources and I just wish that was like happening more when I was younger. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, back up in Washington state where I'm from, um, in the 2020 elections, we had a measure on the Washington state ballot regarding, um, comprehensive sex education for K through 12 schools. And I was a bit curious. I wanted to look into that because I know, you know, for myself back in the eighties and nineties, when I was going through middle school and high school, we did have a sex education class. We did have a little bit of, you know, health education, um, and we barely brushed over uh, mental health education. And, you know, back in grade school, you know, kindergarten through fifth grade, you know, we got so much as, you know, be nice to each other. Let's not hurt each other's feelings. Let's share and let's eat right. Let's follow the food pyramid. That was about all we got back then. And so, comprehensive like what does this mean and I remember you know starting to look into it and then all of a sudden all these news stories uh, started popping up and, and and hearing on social media that uh, there were a lot of parents and and caregivers who did not support the bill because um, they thought it wasn't age appropriate uh, that it, it was it was too much it was too detailed too graphic and um, so I started looking into the curriculum and I'm going actually no like this is so smart to be taught this stuff at such an early age and it was in a way it was direct but it makes sense to be direct because it you know if you beat around the bush it's going to be more confusing with children and we have to know that they're sponges and we want it to make sense and so you know to have a parent try to talk about sex education mental health education physical health education you know, unless they're, you know, a professional in all of that area and can talk about it very detailed and very professionally, they're not going to be covering the, the, the little like bits and pieces that are vital, that are very important for children to know. But the bottom line, I mean, it does come down to mental health because you know, the choices that you make regarding, you know, sex education and your physical health weighs on your mental state and what you've been programmed to know, believe, and understand. And 
you know, whoever is raising us may not be the best example for us. So to have that professional education in school to teach us how to manage our emotions and feelings and know how to properly respond to these stresses because children are still going to face stresses. I don't think we're going to completely eliminate bullying or any of the other issues that, that children, adolescents, teenagers face. It's more likely that it's going to help them think independently and have that autonomy and have that empowerment to, you know, say no or to stand up for themselves. And as a part of this comprehensive education about sex, mental health, and physical health, uh, it is encouraging children, even in a very early age at five years old, to, again, like, try to decipher, you know, what's good, what's not so good, and to ask questions, to ask for help, to let people know if something is unsafe or that they're in danger. Um, And so, you know, that encouragement alone, you know, is what we're trying to push even for adults to understand is that, you know, if you need something, ask for help, ask questions. And so to teach that in an early age to our children is vital to be able to program them because, you know, they're sponges. At an early age, they're soaking up everything. So why not have them soak up this education and then be able to make more informed decisions and choices as they get older? And sure, they're still going to make poor choices, but at least they're going to have that comprehensive education. And when it comes to mental health, why not prepare them as much as possible at an early age to you know, process these thoughts to understand and process our emotions and handle our emotions and our feelings healthily and properly so it doesn't lead to more detrimental issues and mental health conditions because there's a lot that can be prevented even if we're faced with bullying and clicks and, you know, that I. Uh, that that self-image. So yeah, I really wish that that was a part of, of my education back when I was young as well, because, you know, I too faced bullying and self-image issues and lack of confidence and, you know, lack of, you know, knowledge of, you know, sex education. And if, if we silence that, you know, that, that more problems can arise than the problems that we're facing today, you know, have come to the surface. They've always been there. Um, you know, whatever these these issues that we're, we're talking about that are hot topics now from mental health to sex education um, to our physical health, they're all just coming to the surface. We don't have those stigmas there. We aren't hushed about it. It is more known and accepted to discuss it. And so this is why that bill was introduced. And I am I am all for that. Sorry for hijacking your answer, but I just thought it was a great opportunity for me to piggyback on what you were saying with that example. Yeah, Yeah, honestly, that's why I do think these inner child wounds are so like buzzy within like the mental health and life coaching world. Like there's a lot of coaches that are an inner child focused (laughs) coach and it's, it's not for no reason, you know, like a lot of the patterning that happens to us when we're kids, it's really like those deep grooves and really impactful. And I, it really does affect the way we process things as adults. And if you're not willing to do the work and, and heal yourself in whatever way possible, like it doesn't necessarily matter. There's so many ways to heal yourself, but if you're not willing to, you know, heal those wounds, like you will carry them. And, um, I, 
I also think, you know, part of the message that I want to send out is, is just like, take good care of yourself starting at an early age. And, and, you know, that's why I'm just really happy that there's more awareness to social emotional learning and yoga and all these great practices that can help us heal. So. Yes, absolutely. Okay. The final question, what in your life has freed you? What has improved your well-being and has been very, very beneficial for your well-being? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that, but like some general things like acceptance. Um, I think acceptance is really great because it's accepting things for what they are and understanding like what we can control and we can't control, you know, this acceptance that like people are going to be the way that they're going to be, but we can also, you know, change what we want for ourselves and understanding that like, for me personally, I don't, I don't want to have issues with food. I don't want to have you know, body image issues. I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel empowered. I want to have this sense of freedom. So I think understanding like my own self agency of what I can do to make my life better and understanding that I'm responsible for the things that come up in my life and, and I can make choices that are healthy um, and empowering and safe. And I can put structures and things into my life to help myself feel good. Um, so maybe, you know, that's getting outside and going for a walk. Like I know how to deal with things and, and make sure that I'm taking care of myself in a way that's essentially productive, um, for my mental health, for my physical health. Um, yeah, I mean, having a sense of agency is really helpful for everyone. Like knowing that there's things that are within your control. Um, you can choose to do the work. You can choose to take good care of yourself. You can choose to make healthy choices so that you don't fuck yourself over. You know, that's why I thought the fuck situation was so interesting because there's things that we choose that fuck us over. And then there's things that like, we don't necessarily choose, but we can choose how we react. Well said, well said. Thanks. You've hit on a lot of good points that like were racing through my mind as we were talking. And so thank you for for doing that. Um, well, I really appreciate you uh, coming on here today, Rachel. And uh, maybe we'll touch base again and have you on again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate this podcast. I appreciate, you know, you doing the work to help other people feel well too. That's super important. And yeah. Well, thank you. All right. Take care. You too. So the one thing I ask guests and the listeners to be mindful about is any scientific claims and the validity of holistic practices, since my podcast is about bridging the gap between the two, therefore needing scientific data and sources to back up any claims. And you can refer to all of this in the scientific references in my link tree at Healing With Sway, all one word, uh, which you can also find in the text of my podcast and each And lastly, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to my podcast so that you will get notifications of new episodes. Have a topic request or a question? Send me an email. Healing with Sway, that's all one word, Healing with Sway, S-W-A-Y, at Outlook.com. I'd love to hear from you. Be well.